Hey, Community Heights family, we had Doug, one of our international workers, on November 15th, 2020, here at Community Heights Church. He shared a message, and he did it remotely. Well, he didn't share a big thing that's going on in his family right now, and he really, he and his wife, Lashana, would really uh, desire for our church to be praying for them over these next weeks. So this is a follow-up conversation I did with Doug, where he tells the story of what they're going through right now and asks us to be partners in prayer for this. So go ahead and listen. This is part one, and then part two comes after it where I talk to him about what discipleship and following Jesus looks like in his West African country uh, and compare it to how we think about discipleship and following Jesus. I knew we had something to learn from his experience there. That's in part two. I think it's like 19 minutes long, but I encourage you to go there. If you have time, go ahead and listen to that, and I hope you're as challenged by it as I was. Here's part one of my follow-up conversation with Doug. Hey, Doug, good to talk to you today. I wanted to follow up your message to our people with just a just a conversation about uh, something that's going on in your family, and you didn't share it because you know we only had so much time on a Sunday morning, but right. I want our people to pray. So, uh, yeah, yeah, just uh, talk in their ears. Let them know what you guys are going through. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks. Thanks for taking time and making space to um, kind of come alongside us in our journey, in our, uh, in our lives, and uh, be willing to um, step in with us with something difficult that we're going through and pray on our behalf. Really appreciate that. Um, so... W- we got back to the States at the very end of July from uh, where we serve in West Africa. And uh, Lashana, my wife, was pregnant with our third child. When we got back here, she was 20 weeks pregnant. So we were at the halfway point. Uh, we hadn't had any prenatal care because where we serve, there's very little medical care anyways. Uh, you add on top of that issues with covid and uh, it just was not, <laughs> we, yeah. we did not think there was any reason we should try to venture into a hospital um, knowing mm. that we weren't going to get much out of it anyways. So, uh, so we got back here 20 weeks pregnant, a couple weeks after being back, we finally had our first ultrasound, super excited for that. Uh, found out we were having a boy, which was awesome. We have two girls. And uh, so we are hoping that we'd be able to uh, enjoy having a son around. So we're really pumped about that. Uh, and as the ultrasound went on, both of us kind of, we just started wondering, is there a problem? Is there an issue? Because the ultrasound mm. t- was just taking longer and longer and longer. And, you know, this isn't our first rodeo. We've been down this road a few times. Um, they finished the ultrasound and um, the technician said, okay, I want you to go into this waiting room and then I'll have a specialist review uh, the pictures and the recordings I took and he'll come in and talk to you. We're right. like, okay. So we go into this room and we're sitting around and both of us are like, man, I, I think something's up. Like this is, this is not normal. Uh, so specialists came in and uh, he told us that based on what they were seeing on the ultrasound, our son has uh, a cyst in his brain, um, a, a deformation with his heart, kidney problems, um, an issue with his nervous system, and I think one other thing. Um, that whole conversation's a bit of a blur at this point. Yeah. Uh, and we are like, wow, okay, uh, that's a lot of issues. So what does all that mean? And he said, well, 
I think all of those things are symptomatic of trisomy 18. And he said, okay, what in the world is that? And he said, well, it's, uh, it's a rare genetic defect. Um, you can't predict it. Uh, you can't prevent it. It just happens sometimes. It's a rare thing. Uh, but it's, uh, it's a third copy of the 18th chromosome. And, uh, and I think your, your baby probably has that. And so we got some blood work done. The blood work confirmed that uh, it was indeed trisomy 18 that our son has, otherwise known as Edward syndrome. Um, and so as we've learned more about the, this issue and talked with the doctor more, uh, it's a rare genetic defect. Um, probably what it means statistically is that he will either die in womb and will have a stillbirth or he will die within a few days post birth. So um, it's like just statistically, right? So this isn't taking into account whatever the Lord might do, but statistically it's like 5% of babies with trisomy 18 make it longer than a week post birth. Oh, wow. So um, very, very unlikely if he survives to that point of birth that he'll survive much longer than that. Um, if he does survive, he will be severely uh, physically and mentally handicapped and retarded. So um, so we found out about that, oh, I don't know, maybe almost three months ago now. Um, so that's obviously been pretty heavy on our hearts in that time. Um, it's kind of been, it's overshadowed, uh, what the rest of our time here in the States has looked like. Hmm. Um, and we are now, uh, about five weeks out from due date. So, uh, my wife's scheduled to give birth December 22nd. And do you have like regular ultrasounds? So the specialist wanted us to come in for regular ultrasounds. We came in for another one and, and we told, we just said, we're not going to do this anymore. It was really painful and difficult and uh, it's yeah. not particularly helpful. You know, it's like, yep, he still has trisomy 18. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, there's, there's right. not helpful information to learn, you know? And so uh, they were long and it was emotionally draining. And uh, we both just felt like, you know, we, this isn't good for us long-term. So, um, so we, I mean, our OB, we, we see regularly. Um, and so he's aware of what's going on. He's checking out heartbeat and all of the normal things okay. you would do with okay. a pregnancy, yeah. but we're not, we don't have like specialist care that we're intentionally seeking out this side yeah. of uh, pregnancy. So how have you guys been able to uh, psychologically and emotionally handle that kind of news yeah i mean how long has it been now has it been four months that you've known yeah three I, think, months? I think it's been three months um yeah three months mm -hmm. how, yep. how have those months been different yeah so the processed it yeah the the day we found out uh <laughs> was super super painful i mean it was like we we got smacked in the head with a frying pan i mean it was just like completely overwhelming, never would have anticipated. I mean, just shocking. Mm. Um, so that day was spent uh, mostly like in bed crying and just mourning and grieving, you know, and just trying to wrap our minds around what in the world, you mm. know, what does this mean? And uh, 
you know, our mind just went all over the place. Like, man, God could miraculously heal. That would be pretty awesome. Um, our son might just die. That would be really painful. Uh, we might have a severely handicapped child. What in the world does that mean? You know, where we serve in West Africa, I just can't fathom living there long term if we had a disabled child, you know? Yeah. So then that's playing into our minds. Like, I mean, is our ministry there just done? You know, are we just going to be living in the States now? You know what I mean? Like all of that Mm. stuff is just like flashing through our minds and we're just trying to get grounded um, so, you know, that day was just a lot of mourning and grieving and trying to begin processing, um, over the next few days, uh, I feel like the Lord gave us, um, a lot of peace, um, no answers to any of those questions, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but just peace and, uh, some perspective, um, and confidence that uh, he's with us in this. I mean, it was really the confidence was I'm with you in this and you guys are going to be okay. You know what I mean? Like our family will survive this, whatever happens. Hmm. And so um, those things were really grounding. And over the last couple months, as we've like just continued to press in and process, you know, some days are easier than other days. Some days feel really heavy and sometimes we're totally fine. And then something triggers, you know, an awareness of, what we're journeying into and it becomes really, really heavy. And our, our attitude is just, you know, we want to be present to every moment and uh, we take things as they come and we step in and we process and we, we deal with, you know, whatever it is that's up there, uh, whatever has come up and we press forward and continue on, you know? Um, So at this point um, there's a few things that we've committed to and, um, that have been helpful. Uh, one, we, uh, we have refused to mourn and grieve the loss of him as our child because he's still alive. And so uh, we mourn and grieve that we're in this situation and that we're having to process this, you know, like that in and of itself is difficult and painful and hard. Um, and so we mourn and grieve that, but we don't mourn and grieve him because he's alive and uh, we want to praise God for his life, you know? Yeah. So um, every time we hear the heartbeat, every time he's kicking, every time we can look at, you know, my wife's belly and we see some movement, we praise God for that. Uh, Cause it's a reminder that um, not only is he alive, but we have a son and he's here, you know, and the Lord yeah. is sustaining him. And, that's not insignificant, despite whatever might happen. Like we can still praise God today for the fact that we have a son that's alive, you know? So, uh, we refuse to mourn and grieve. Um, we, uh, we're also, we have a firm, firm commitment to the belief that God will redeem him. Um, so we are absolutely certain God's going to redeem his life. And, uh, you know, one way he might redeem our son's life, we named him, his name is Judah Matthew. So, um, Hmm. so one way he might redeem Judah's life would be a miraculous healing. And so we're praying to that end, you know, Uh, I mean, that's our heart cry. That's what we pray for him multiple times a day, every day. Um, and that's what we would invite prayer around, right? Uh, we know that nothing's impossible for the Lord. Um, we have a king who displayed time and time again his ability 
to heal and bring uh, fulfillment and restoration. And so uh, we pray for miraculous healing. And so that's one way that he might redeem Judah's life is simply through a complete and total healing of these issues. And uh, so that's what we long for. And um, if the Lord redeems that way, then, uh, you know, we get to return to West Africa with a healthy son who is a picture and a testimony of the power of Jesus name. And so um, we long for that. We pray for that. Um, but that's not the only way he might redeem his life, right? Um, and uh, however else he might do that, we don't know, right? I don't know how um, God will or could use his story and our journey and what we're going through for redemption, but we're very confident that he will. Um, the, a passage that's been heavy on my heart through this journey is Genesis 50, 20. Um, so at the very end of the story of Joseph, everything he's been through, his brother's betrayal, um, unrightful imprisonment in Egypt. I mean, all the like years and years of striving and struggling, you know, you can only imagine the questions going through Joseph's mind, right? As he's like gone through just traumatic experience after injustice, after injustice, um, Here's Joseph at the end of it all, and talking to his brothers, he says, what you meant for evil, God intended for good, right? And that verse is like a thesis statement, not only for the whole book of Genesis, where at the beginning we have humanity falling into sin, and then the beginnings of God redeeming out of that, but really all of scripture, right? Like that is the synopsis, what humanity intends for evil, what sin intends for evil, what the enemy intends for evil, God will twist and use for good and for redemption. And so uh, we're very confident that this situation, as painful it is, as challenging as it is, um, with all of the uncertainty, we know God will redeem and intend for good, you know? Um, So that's been really, really grounding for us. Um, is we're confident that God will redeem his life in one way or the other, you know? Um, and the reason we named him Judah is Judah means praise. And so we're, we're committed to praising God one way or the other, you know? Um, yeah, our son's life is a gift. That's why we named him Matthew gift from God. Um, and so he's a gift and, uh, whatever the Lord chooses to do, um, we're committed to praising him and thanking him, you know? And so the last posture that we're committed to uh, is similarly to Jesus in the garden. You know, he makes his submission known to the Lord. Uh, He says, hey, if there's any other way that uh, this cup can pass, you know, could that be done? Like, is there another route? Is there another way this can happen? That's what I would prefer. But if not, I trust you. You know, I'm committed to your path forward. And so... um, you know, we've made known our request to the Lord and we will continue to make known that request. But at the end of the day, like we, we believe in a way that um, doesn't make sense in our minds that whatever God does, um, it is good. It is loving. It is kind. It is gracious. Like he's committed to us. He's committed to our son. He has a greater love and commitment to us individually and as a family than we do, you know, And so um, that to us has been the journey of faith. Uh, We have complete confidence that God can heal. Um, And so, you know, like that's one level of faith, but really our journey of faith, the challenge has been, can you trust 
that whatever I do is good and loving and kind, um, even if it's not the thing you want, right? And so that's what we've been pressing into. That's been our work is trusting that that's true um, and that God's good kind of regardless of uh, what happens. Um, So, Well, Doug, I was not expecting a lot of what you just shared and particularly this perspective that you have a son and, you know, so many of us who have had kids, we remember the waiting, the waiting, the waiting. Yeah. We were waiting to realize something. And you guys have done just the opposite. You've realized something way ahead of time, knowing that what you might want to wait for may never materialize. Right. And so if you only have a son on this side of birth, yeah, you're going to have that son and you're going to give him a name. Right. You've processed this. I haven't. So sure, pardon sure. me. No, getting, no uh, it's choked okay. up. But you know, I think about my grandkids and I think about my yeah, boys yeah. who are about your age. But that perspective is so helpful and it, it is so life giving, uh, juxtaposed to society's view of, you know, what might be called an unwanted pregnancy. Sure. You know, unwanted when it's realized that it's not what you would have desired. Right. Uh, and, and we, you know, we talk about, we, you know, we talk about these pro-life issues and yeah. here is a, you know, here's a perspective that's, that's just so illustrative mm. of when, when does life begin, you know, and, yeah. and what is life about? And even if God, like you said, um, uh, no matter what happens, you're going to praise him. Yeah. And no matter what happens, uh, Judah Matthew is God's gift to you. Yeah, amen. Uh, and that's really, it's it's on the one hand heartbreaking, and it's on the other hand beautiful, mm. um, both at the same time, which is which is emblematic of all of life. All yeah. of life is, yeah. is at once heartbreaking and beautiful at the same time. I wonder, Doug, who has God brought into your life in the last three months? Has there been anybody that's been able to come alongside of you and encourage and bring hope in particular, maybe more than just the normal person? Mm. Yeah. I mean, we, we have felt uh, a lot of support and care from, um, (laughs) I mean, literally hundreds of people, you know, as I'm, as we are kind of going from church community to church community, um, we've chosen to be pretty public about this whole process, this whole journey that we're on. Um, and it's not because we're like <laughs> super spiritual, immune to the pain or anything like that. Yeah, um, like yeah. it's incredibly heavy, but it is, it's because of our commitment to the fact that he's alive and we're going to fight for his life. And the way we do that is intercessory prayer. And so we want as many people as possible coming alongside us, petitioning before the Father on Judah's behalf. Um, And so because of that, we've been very public and open and just saying, hey, um, this is where we're at. This is what's happening. Please join us in prayer. And through that, we've we've just been humbled by the church, Big C Church's response to what we're going through. Um, There's just been an outpouring of love and support and prayer, um, people coming alongside us. I mean, there's not a day that goes by that I don't have somebody checking in saying, how are you guys doing? What's going on? Um, 
And so um, that's that in and of itself has been really, really meaningful because um, we don't feel alone in the journey. I mean, it it is isolating on one level and on another level, we know that there is like we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. You know, it's that whole idea of like we're part of a larger family and we are seen and we are known and we are cared for. And so um, so that's been really, really meaningful. Um, and then I think another um this maybe isn't directly an answer to your question, but just one of the ways that the Lord uses things like this is our ability to, oh, and this is, uh, I'm sure, one of the ways that he <laughs> will redeem Judah's life, one way or the other, um, like this is just going to happen, our ability to relate to people in suffering and who have experienced suffering and loss mm-hmm. is like exponentially higher now than it mm. would have been or was, you know? Um, so I remember early on after we found out, this was maybe like a week or two after we found out. So still pretty darn fresh. I was getting breakfast with this guy, um, from a church community we were connected with and I was just getting to know him a bit. And, uh, he's a little bit older. Um, you know, he has, uh, adult children and some grandchildren. Um, but as he's just sharing with me his life story, you know, he shares that his, him and his wife's first son died when he was two years old. And so, you know, having just heard what we heard, you know, I'm just like, holy mackerel. And I'm imagining what if we lost one of our girls, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to wrap my mind around that. And then he says, and then my wife died just a few years ago. And Mm. so it's like, you know, I'm sitting across the table from this guy who lost his first born son and his wife. And as he's looking at me talking, you know, he's excited about his kids and his grandkids. He just got remarried to an awesome Christian gal. I mean, it's just not that it's so painful and difficult and heavy and hard, but I'm also seeing someone who's so much further down the journey, you know, and who has chosen to press into Jesus in the midst of all his pain and agony. You know what I mean? And like, he has a smile on his face today. Yeah. And so that was a picture of hope. Um, but it also is like, I was just for myself, my ability to empathize and sympathize with his pain. I mean, it just, there was a level of connection that was, wouldn't have been there otherwise, because until you've journeyed through something, like you can understand cerebrally what something might be like, but I mean, you have no clue, right? Like you can't, you can't actually know what that pain is like. And so, um, so that's why the, the best people to be around are those who have suffered the most. Because they're so empathetic and they they so can connect with people's pain. Yeah. And I think the most insufferable people to be around <laughs> are the ones that have had, they've had just a great life, you know? Sure. They've been successful. You've got everybody around them. They've never gone through really any serious suffering. Yeah. And they don't understand why everybody isn't just doing just fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. So you, you you would say then that to be open about it and to be sharing it has made it easier for you and Lashana than if you had kept it as a secret that you carried alone. Yeah, I mean, part of it is, uh, I mean, the answer is yes. Um, <laughs> part of that is just, I know it's our wiring, you know, like I, I would not be able to step into like a church community, be asked, how can we pray for you? 
and like put on a smile and not talk about this thing that's Hmm. so heavy. Right. Yeah. And so part of that's just our personality and, um, and that sort of thing. And so there's no, I mean, I would have zero judgment towards somebody who would choose to take a different path, but we also feel like early on, we felt like uh, one step of faith. If you believe that Jesus can heal one step of faith is choosing to be open about that. You know what I mean? And, and just say, here's where we're at. This is what we're praying for. You know, I mean, there it's, it would feel safer not to be as open about that. You know what I mean? And not to ask for that because on one level you're stepping out, right? And you're saying, um, I, I am petitioning Jesus to do something that goes against what, uh, is societally normal and what culture tells me is possible. Um, and so it feels like a risk on one level, you know? Um, and so anyways, it just felt like a step of faith to be open and honest and and try to be vulnerable with people around where we're at and what we're experiencing. You know, it's never a risk to pray for a miracle. It could be a risk to not pray for a miracle. Yeah. Right. I mean, really? Yeah. Yeah. Because God asks us to pray for healing. He asks us to pray for those, uh, who are sick and, and anoint them with oil. Right. And so he asks us to pray for people. Uh, but then it's he's the healer, and like yeah. you said, he's going to redeem, and he has already redeemed yeah. Judah's life um, just through uh, just through his story, just through the story of his life and what his life has done in your heart and in yeah. Lashana's heart, and ultimately, you know, with your girls, he right. he will always, one way or another, be a part of their story as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, I want to encourage our people. You're listening. You're listening to Doug. Uh, you haven't met Lashana yet. We hope that before you go back uh, to West Africa the next late next summer that you're able to stop by Community Heights and yeah. we're able to visit with you guys. Um, but I want to ask all of our church family to please pray for Judah Matthew and for the Petersons uh, and pray for a miracle and yeah. uh, just Trust God. Trust God with the outcome, but pray for, for healing. Amen. Now, um, there's one other thing. There's unfinished business. <laughs> Speaking of unfinished, uh, you you kind of left us all hanging a little bit about B, about <laughs> your friend, <laughs> your friend B, uh-huh. who who went off to become an imam, but yeah. found his way to Paris. Yeah. And in our staff meeting this morning, I was getting asked questions about this. Yeah. And they wondered, was he in Paris because he was afraid to come back home because he decided not to pursue being an imam, but to be a follower of Jesus? Did, did yeah. that play into it and all? And what's the rest of his story yeah, that, yeah. that you can tell? You know, we don't sure. want to. Yeah. Um, so I don't know every aspect of what motivated him to make his way up to France. Uh, I mean, he was trying to escape the situation he was in for sure. Um, and I, I couldn't even tell you how he made his way there. Uh, I couldn't tell you if he pursued legal channels or not. I have no clue around the details of all of that stuff. I don't know. Um, he, at this point is, uh, I think I maybe said this in our recording, you know, he's trying to work through now. What does this mean for my life? Right. So I've given my life to Jesus. Uh, I'm a part of his kingdom. His values are my values. So what does that mean moving forward, right? Do I stay here? Do I go back home? 
Um, do I press into opportunities that are here? Do I, uh, do I go and face my family and tell them, Hey, this is the decision that I made and this is where I'm at. Like he's, he's wrestling through the implications of all of this. Um, yeah. And I, I, I'm not sure how much more I can or should say than that. Um, sure, even where he's at and what he's journeying through, but our, yeah, it's our colleagues who are in Paris that are kind of working alongside him. He's plugged into a faith community there. So they're, they're discipling him and encouraging him and trying to help him to process through all that stuff. 